I had the um, I have had the privilege of working with the RFS as a chaplain for the last decade, and um, one of the ways I used to to break the ice is to tell them the story of the brigade that got a brand new truck, and they wanted to get it blessed, a new fire truck, and they wanted to get it blessed, uh, which I've actually done, which is cute, but um, um, but they they wanted to hedge their bets a little bit. So they, they, they took it first to the local Presbyterian minister who prayed over it. Uh, they took it to the Roman Catholic priest who splashed a bit of holy water on it. They took it to the Pentecostal pastor who laid hands on it. They took it to the local rabbi who cut the end off the hose. <laughs> And then they brought it to the Baptist minister who just drove it straight into the lake. <laughs> I'm going to pray. <laughs> Father, um, as we look at your word, we pray that you will let us see Jesus and that you will unite us in him. And we pray it in his name. So all of John 17 is one prayer from Jesus. Um, which, if you think about it, that gives us a pretty amazing insight into what really matters to Jesus. In this, it's, it's a really intimate moment, and um, I don't know how John got the recording of it, whether he was close enough to hear it or whether Jesus told him afterwards. I'm not sure. I'm, I have a feeling that John overheard it. Um, in this intimate moment, we get to see the heart and the passion of our Lord. That's pretty deep. I mean, as we know, this prayer was um, in the Garden of Gethsemane on the Thursday night between the Last Supper and the arrest of Jesus, before his crucifixion the next day. So his death, you know, from the, the Last Supper, which was all about his death, uh, to the crucifixion the next day, he say his death is the message behind this prayer. And we're only looking at the last little section of it because our subject matter this weekend is about that that section of the prayer. But we need to remember that our understanding of this prayer hinges on the death of Jesus. That's the underpinning. So as he is preparing to die, Jesus is praying for us. As he contemplates, and remember, his contemplation of this was enough to make him sweat blood. You might recall that. As he contemplates being abandoned by his own followers and punished by his own father, he is praying that all of his followers might be united as one. This is what Jesus cares about. This is our, our window to his soul. This is what he wants. And you think about it, this is what we really should be leaning in just to be able to hear. This is what Jesus wants. Mind you, it's not just a vague prayer for us to be well behaved and nice. It's a prayer that actually incorporates the three things that our unity depends on. Uh, what holds us up, 
our foundation, what holds us together, and what gives us our identity. So this passage, apart from being chronologically in the middle, this passage is the heart of our weekend. And it begins in the second half of verse 20 where Jesus prays, I pray also for those who will believe me through the disciples' message. The thing that holds us up is our faith in him because of the truth of the gospel. That's what we stand on. As our, um, as our religion has developed over the last 2,000 years, we have drifted towards an understanding that our unity is about us. It sort of happened that way. Um, who we are, what we do, what we agree on. Every church has done that. Every church. Now, I don't need to repeat what we did this morning, except to say that that doesn't work. You cannot build unity based on grounds for division. Our unity can only be built on something that actually works, that actually holds us together, something that genuinely holds us up. And that's because, I mean, we know that we cannot have a relationship with God based on what we do. We just can't. I mean, all of our good behaviour and all of our clever thinking and all of our intricate religion cannot get us any closer to God, no matter how impressive it might be. So our foundation needs to be something that works, that, that, that gives us absolute confidence that we are eternally right with God and that we have peace and contentment in any situation right now. That's, that's Whatever it is that our unity is based on has to give us that sense of, I know I'm good with God. It has to give us that. And that's a big ask. It's a bit like wanting your children to be perfectly happy and perfectly obedient at the same time. <laughs> Some things in life are just not easy. Um, and yet, in these few words, Jesus is highlighting the fact that putting our faith in him gives us our eternal hope and our present contentment. So that, those are the two things that we need most. That's what we get in Jesus. I mean, that's why the context of the cross is so important. Right? Taking the punishment that we deserve is no small thing. And it, and it contradicts everything that traditional religion has become. Instead of allowing us to think that we need to jump through moral and religious hoops in order to impress God, Jesus does it for us. I like that. Instead of leaving us in the messy guilt of our failure to impress God, Jesus gives us forgiveness. So take a moment, if it helps to shut your eyes and do that, but take a moment, uh, picture in your mind a list of all the things that you are ashamed of. Picture in your mind the list of things that you wish you'd never done. Picture in your mind 
the list of things you know you should probably stop. I don't know about you, but I don't like my own list. Um, one, it's way too big. Two, it's way too dark and too confronting. And it's too much for me to fix. I can't. And that leaves me with a, with a very big problem. Um, a little insight into me, I, I used to hate myself so much that I had calluses on my knuckles from thumping brick walls. Um, because I knew I needed to be right with God, but I knew I wasn't. And that was just this awkward struggle that I had. And it took me too long to realize this point. So now, picture in your mind Jesus nailed to the cross because of everything on your list. Picture him. See him guilty of what you have done. See him wanting what you lusted for. See him making your same mistakes over and over again. That's awkward, isn't it? Um, that's that's really awkward thing to visualize because we don't like the idea of Jesus being guilty, do we? That it just feels weird. Um, I even had you know someone say to me that um, a parishioner who said to me I, he didn't like me talking about my own mistakes um, because the minister shouldn't have mistakes. We have difficulty thinking of Jesus being guilty, um, but that's exactly what happened on the cross. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians, in the second letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said this. He said that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let that sink in. God made him who had no sin to be sin. For us, so that in him we might become the righteousness, the perfection of God. So as you picture Jesus being everything that's wrong about you, however you see that, picture yourself then as being everything that's right about him. In him you are good with God. That's what holds us up, Jesus. And that then, as we see in verse 21, if your Bible's open, as you see in verse 21, that's what holds us together. His prayer is that every believer might be one unit together. Every believer. In the same way that Jesus and the Father are one unit. And then in verse 22, Jesus acknowledged in his prayer that he gave us his glory so that we might be one, just like him and the Father. So the purpose of this foundation of eternal hope and this eternal forgiveness that we've got is not just being right with God as an individual, because that, I mean, that's pretty cool. But it's not just that. It is so that we might be right with God together as a community, as a bunch of people who love Jesus. Of course, because we 
churches have spent so many centuries practicing our division skills, we seem to have lost touch with what this means, don't we? So for the benefit of my simple aging brain, I like to keep it in terms that are as easy and as simple as possible. Every single person who knows by faith that we are forgiven through the death of Jesus is connected to all the rest because we are in Christ together. Of course, not everybody gets this. I remember um, one guy in his 80s in, uh, in my church a couple of church groups ago. Um, he used to come in early to chat, me, chat with me when I was setting up um, for the morning service. Um, and his name was Bob. I loved Bob. He was a lovely guy. And he'd just come in to chat on Sunday mornings. And I once asked him, because of the, the way the conversations went every Sunday, I thought, okay, I need to ask you this. I said, Bob, do you believe that you'll go to heaven when you die? And this is a guy who'd been going to church all his life. And he said to me, well, Rob, I hope I'll be good enough. <laughs> After so many decades of attending church, that was still what he carried. Needless to say, from that point on, we talked a lot about forgiveness and assurance. That's where the focus went. And at a certain point, Bob got it. It clicked. I was so pleased about that. Uh, he realized that the death of Jesus was all that he needed in order to be right with God. All that he needed to do was to trust that truth. And I could see how much of a difference it made for him when I visited him. Uh, it was on the night before he died, I, I visited him in a hospital, and he said to me, he called me close, he said, Rob, Rob, Rob. And he, he said that all he wanted was for his family his estranged wife and children and the hospital staff, the nurses that were fussing about him, all he wanted for them was to join him in that. There's a man that died in peace. When we focus on what Jesus has given to us, when, when the big thing that occupies our hearts and our minds and our motives is our eternal confidence, then we have, like it or not, we have an instant connection with everybody else who trusts Jesus. I've actually had someone say to me, because she went to her daughter's wedding, and her daughter married the son of a minister, um, and, um, and so mum wasn't a Christian, but her daughter was, and you know the daughter had been praying for mum for ages, and this, this, the wedding was this huge, big Christian-focused thing. It was all about the gospel. And this woman, she rang me up, and she said, we need to talk. And um, she came around to our place, sat down at the kitchen table, and she said, I want what they've got. I want in. I want to be part of that. I love the language that Jesus uses, saying that we are united in his glory. That's pretty powerful stuff. The thing that glorifies Jesus is our salvation. It's good to remember that. So we are what he came to do. So when people put their faith in Jesus, that's his work done. So that gives him glory. So our faith in him is his glory. And we get his glory by being in him, and by being in him, we are united. 
It's this amazing package we become a part of. Uh, my day job at the moment is with what's called the Mission to Seafarers. There's not a lot of sea near here, but four hours in that direction, you'll find some. Um, but I get to spend time with ship crews when they come off the, sh the ships for shore leave. Um, and it occurs to me that when they're sailing, when they, when they go off into the deep blue sea, they are all together in one ship. I mean, they're different jobs or places in the hierarchy or abilities or their opinions of each other or even how much they like the food they're served. That's all irrelevant. It's irrelevant to the fact that they are in one ship together. The thing that determines our togetherness, our unity as Christians, is not whether we're in the same room or in the same denomination or whatever it might be. The thing that determines our togetherness, our unity, is whether or not we are in Christ. Opinions and traditions and emotions will keep happening, but our unity is only in him. That's why Jesus used the analogy of the vine and the branches back in chapter 15, just a couple of chapters before this. If we are grafted into the vine, which is Jesus, becoming one with him, we are automatically united with everybody else who is grafted into Christ. It's just part of the package. And that then allows us to live a whole new identity. I'm no longer just me. I'm in Christ. Instead of being known by our differences, we are known by our belonging to Jesus. Instead of being known by our failures or our mistakes or our past, we are known by our confidence that we are forgiven in Christ together. Now, as strange as it might seem, I find this to be a huge challenge and a huge load off at the same time. Um, the challenge is our resistance to this. I have six decades of deeply entrenched thinking that it can't be possible to be united with someone if they belong to the wrong church or if they've done too many wrong things or if they're just too happy. It, it, it is really difficult to break the habit of pigeonholing people and excluding them because they don't fit our patterns or our expectations. I've been doing it for a long time. It's really hard to break that habit. But if it's true that the only way we have unity with any other Christians is by our faith in Jesus, by our faith in his death for our, 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 our forgiveness, then the stress of working out who's in and who's out just disappears, doesn't it? I love the freedom that comes with not caring whether someone is Roman Catholic or Baptist or United. I love being able to talk about the, the good news of Jesus and connect at that level. Mind you, sometimes when I talk with people, whether it's in my own denomination or in other ones, sometimes we don't connect at that level. Sometimes I find out I'm talking to another you know, minister who, who genuinely doesn't believe in God. I've had that. Um, sometimes 
you know, I, I, I talked to another minister who rejects the idea of being saved by the blood of Jesus. I get that. You know, or let alone fellow, you know, people who go to church. Um, you know, there, there are people like Bob all over the place. And some of them are leaders, some of them are just few sitters. So, but if, but if we don't connect at the Jesus level, if we find out, okay, I'm in Jesus, but you're not, even though you, you know, you're doing all the religious stuff, but you're not actually connecting. We're not actually connecting through Jesus. We're connecting through maybe the religious stuff. That actually gives us a wonderful opportunity to help someone come to Christ and then share in the unity. You say, well, I know what to do with this. You need to meet Jesus. You know, that's where we go. It's not just a case of, oh, you're no good because you're in the wrong group. It's a case of let's talk about Jesus. Let's, you know, I mean, I, I even had it the other day. I was, I was having a conversation with a, a Buddhist Chinese Buddhist, and, and it was on Google Translate because he had no English and I had no Chinese. And um, so we had this whole conversation um, on all sorts of things, um, and, and it got round to the you know, difference between Buddhism and Christianity. And, um, and I said to him through the, the gadget, I said, would you like to know where I get my hope from? And he goes, yes, please. So they're great. I went and grabbed a, a booklet in Chinese. Um, that was a really good evangelistic booklet. I said, here, this is yours. And I noticed him reading that. Now he'll take that home and maybe he'll come to Christ. We get to do that with every conversation we have. We, we can easily find out if we talk about Jesus, if the conversation goes there, we can find out if someone you know, is just using the name of Jesus, as in the Lord, Lord, we read about this morning, or whether they genuinely have faith in him. So we can easily see whether or not we're united. If we are, we praise the Lord. If we're not, we go, let me tell you where hope can really be found. We don't have to dismiss them. We can share the gospel with them. Um, it just takes giving them a glimpse of Jesus through our hope. And so it, it comes back to the hook that we hang our hat on, the only one that works. Is Jesus. The only thing that gives us the, the solid foundation that we need is Jesus. The only thing that genuinely holds us together is Jesus. If it's not without that, it's just whether or not we like each other or like doing certain things together. I was in a um I, I visited a fire brigade once and they were fighting. I mean, literally they were almost coming to blows because if they didn't like who was in charge, they didn't like decisions that were being made, they didn't like other personalities, and, and so there was stuff happening, and they, this, this whole brigade was falling apart. And I thought, oh, you are so much like church. And, and I said to the, the captain at the time, I said, when was the last time you sat down with your crew and talked about your core reason for existence, which for them was you know, fighting fires and serving the community? Um, and he said, can't remember. For us, it's the same. We can re really caught up in lots of different things that take our attention, but we need to bring it back to our core reason for existence, our core reason for unity. The only thing that identifies us as genuine Christians, I know I sound like a scratched record, but we know what it is. It smells like eggs, but we know the answer is Jesus. Look no further than him.